Welcome to the Tamarind Learning Podcast, where host Dr. Kirby Ross Plock speaks with experts on many topics relevant in the ultra high net worth family wealth management space. Kirby is author of several books, including The Complete Family Office Handbook, and shares her expertise consulting with families and family offices. Kirby is also the founder of Tamarind Learning, an online wealth education platform that develops practical, foundational learning programs for beneficiaries to help them prepare for responsible stewardship of wealth. Welcome to the Tamarind Learning Podcast. I'm your host, Dr. Kirby Rossbach, and today I am so pleased to have with me Amy Hart-Klein and Dennis Jaffe, both who have just released a new book called Finding Her Voice and Creating a Legacy. It's really awesome. So if you haven't heard about this, that's really what we're talking about today. And Amy is, is a veteran in the family office and family wealth space. She's Chief Knowledge and Learning Officer at Pitcairn, which is a multifamily office and has wonderful services and offerings, uh, full service, and Dennis is a voluminous author and researcher and advisor and has recently just joined um, Banyan Global, um, a consulting firm for families of wealth, business families, um, and ultra high net worth individuals. So I am so thankful for you both being on the podcast today. Great. Thanks for having us. It's great to Thank see you. With you. So I'm so excited to learn more about your book. I've read it. It's illuminating and fascinating. Tell us a little bit more about this study, Amy. How did this all come into being? Yeah, great. Yeah. Um, well, it, it was, um, you know, a great privilege to not only work um, with my friend and colleague and mentor, Dennis Jaffe, but um, to really engage with um, women of wealth, women that I have spent my career working to support um, as matriarchs in multi-generational families. And um, Dennis and I got together on a, on a, uh, on a really an, an element of curiosity around who these women are, what role they play um, in wealthy families and what that means um, to our work um, as advisors to families of wealth and certainly what it means to the community and the world at large. And so um, I'd love to sort of describe a little bit more about um, who, um, who they are and our methodology in the study. So um, Dennis and I spoke to women leaders in significant families of, of wealth. We conducted about 40 interviews. Um, um, these women were very wealthy um, in excess of, of net worth of about a, a half a billion dollars. Um, they were um, um, women who were both active in the creation of their wealth, um, as well as inheritors of wealth. And so our conversations with them um, really focused on how they came to the wealth, um, you know, what their role was in the family, um, how they um, tackled obstacles, and what lessons they learned, and really the implications of the study were really um, quite profound. Well, one of the things I loved about your book is it helped to me kind of clarify and, and sort of parse, right, the differences. I mean, you mentioned about these sort of two groups. Maybe you and Dennis can unpack a little bit more about how the inheritor's sort of profile was similar or different than, say, um, you know, the newer wealth 
creators or um, co-preneurs or whatever, however they created it more recent. So um, what was um, really interesting was that there were differences between the two cohorts, new to wealth and those who were inheritors, but there were some common themes um, that I'll touch on really to kind of kick this off. Um, and one of the themes was that um, these, whether they were new to wealth or inheritors was that um, we knew what they didn't like and what they didn't like was being called a matriarch. Um, they viewed it as a dated concept. Um, they viewed it as um, for those who were younger, you know, matriarchs in their 40s or 50s, they um, felt that it was a term that, that you earned over time. They didn't yet um, earn that role as a, as a wise counsel. Um, and so we were sort of flummoxed by that, you know, because the way we looked at it is it was really, um, it's, a, it's, it's sort of the, the classic definition, um, which is that it's a woman who's the head of the family, who, who guides their family, who's a role model. And so um, when they were sort of quick to reject um, this moniker, um, we, we really were, were surprised by that and, and even thought about changing, changing the name of the study. Um, but we decided um, to recast, reframe, redefine what it meant um, to, be, um, to be a modern matriarch. Um, and so that was really what we went after is to sort of define and decode what those traits were. And we came up with this concept of, again, what's common to both is, is that of the new matriarch. So Amy, you just brought to light, you know, the, the question about term matriarch. I mean, maybe you can help us um, recast that old moniker to what you, you deem as this new matriarch. Can you share more about that? Yeah, yeah, there, there were, um, as, as we studied both cohorts, um, we found that there were a handful of themes that really applied to, to both. And those themes we attribute to um, describing what is the new matriarch. And so one of those themes um, is really a central, centralized around this idea of women as being bridge, bridge builders and, and, and connectors. And by and large, the women that we study um, took on this incredibly ambitious um, and essential task of creating a thread between the business and the family. And they really focused on, on those connections and they felt very much that, you know, key to success was really alignment there. Um, another theme um, was uh, really addressed how they did that. And one of the ways that they did that was they created a fair and inclusive culture. And um, they tended to um, um, open paths for family members um, in order to make all family members uh, feel like they could participate um, and, and looked very carefully around uh, ensuring that there was some um, element of, of feeling fairly um, engaged. And um, I think kind of a third, a third theme around the new, the, the new matriarch led to how these women, whether they were new to wealth or inheritors, used um, what we are calling soft power. Um, they used soft power um, and influence rather than domination. So, so if you can think about it, you know, was they were very careful about empowering people um, versus 
dominating power in a more classic sense. And then just lastly, um, you know, the inner confidence of these women um, to overcome these obstacles um, without acrimony was really quite profound. I think Dennis and I thought it was, you know, truly remarkable that there's something inside. Um, and I don't know if it was just the nature of those that we um, ended up being able to talk to, um, but they had um, the strength, sort of the inner strength to work really hard to overcome those, those pitfalls or challenges that are many times not there for those, um, you know, for their male counterparts. So, you know, having that inner confidence to overcome the obstacles without acrimony was in sort of the fourth characteristic of what we're calling the new matriarch. Understood. Well, that's really interesting. And Dennis, I know you're at your core a researcher at heart, and maybe you can unpack for us what sort of the cohorts also broke down to when it comes to inheritors and vis-a-vis -vis this, this new matriarch kind of archetype and what other observations that you started to learn? Well, first of all, uh, it, it's an interesting thing about the when you begin to get the stories of uh, these women, because they're, uh, most of the research on um, new wealth and entrepreneurs is done by business schools. And because they're business schools, they study the business. And the business um, story of the entrepreneur is about a, is a kind of a myth about an individual, you know, kind of visionary, um, you know, usually male person who starts it single-handedly and does it himself and has the vision and makes it happen. And that's one story. And that's the story that we get in a lot of uh, entrepreneurial businesses. Uh, what we found is by asking the same story from another person, we got a very different, um, a different account and a different view. So um, the women, um, these women were mostly older um, in, in this group. And so they had started the business at a time where even though they were working together with their husbands, um, it was natural, of course, that the husband would be the leader and that they would just be in the background. So, uh, and, and even though that was the way it was formally, Informally, the role and, and what these women did as, as partners was um, really extensive, um, far more extensive. So that I think if, if these people were starting businesses today, we're in a different world and they would start with the idea, well, of course we're doing it together and therefore we're co-leaders. Um, these women were co-leaders, but they, they didn't feel any need or desire to be billed in that way. So they performed different roles. Some were kind of behind the scenes, um, uh, bounce ideas off. Some of them actually did uh, very, very essential things and even uh, made up for some of the deficiencies um, in, in, their, in their husbands. For example, some of the, um, uh, the husbands um, were very, very focused on their vision, but they weren't very good with personal relationships uh, or explaining it or dealing with details. And so these women took on those things. Now those are, you know, really made the business successful, but they weren't billed in that way. So these women um, were all business partners, but they were business partners without um, usually a formal role. Some of them worked in the business, but um, it was not a um, ma major executive role and they helped create it. Now there were, there were two, um, two um, kind of, uh, roles that, that came up. Um, some of these women, um, you know, just there, you know, um, uh, were um, uh, reached a point where their husband uh, died. 
And um, they were in a situation where people were saying, oh yes, well now you have to find somebody to run the business. And in a number of cases, they said, well, um, we, I, I, I'm gonna step out. And a number of these women that weren't really seen as being very uh, business oriented, didn't have a background, uh, stepped up and became the leaders. And so we, we have a number of, of widows talking about how they stepped in and they, be, they, they, they became the leader and took the business in many cases, in several cases in different directions. We also had some women who came into wealth in a, as, as second wives uh, or after, um, uh, after the business was created. And, um, and they took on a very, very active role in, um, in sewing the family together. Often there was acrimony and um, these women would, would kind of reach out to the former spouse and try to create family harmony. So there, there was, um, so the, the second role that um, these women played um, uh, was um, in all these women were very attentive to the fact, not just that we're creating a business and we're creating wealth, but hey, there are children involved. There's a next generation. And these women were, you know, kind of um, uh, bridging the gap uh, between the business and the next generation, the children. They uh, helped, for example, uh, have the, uh, the, 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 the CEO, the husband, pay more attention to them uh, and attend to them. They help the next generation uh, get involved and learn about the business. And basically they were, they were mediators um, between the, the two cultures. And in some ways, they, if they weren't around, there might be a real rift as, as there are in, in some families. So the other, um, the other thing is, is they, they were more sensitive to the fact that there are men and women and that women can have a role. And they were teaching the next generation, um, that um, the roles of women, that, that women could participate, that women could go into the business and, um, and, and teaching new roles to the next generation. So in a way they saw um, gender roles as evolving and they wanted to um, uh, not have more tradition, traditional views, not have the oldest son go into the business, for example. They wanted to um, move across into a, uh, a more collaborative structure in the next generation. The other thing that these women did, which I think um, uh, really makes a difference is they were looking not just at, they looked at succession and the future, but they weren't just looking at how do we keep the business going? How do we make, who, who's gonna run the business? They were looking at, at what kind of a family culture do we wanna have? <clears throat> and they even, in, in, uh, we would say that they were the architects of the family culture. They wanted to create, uh, for example, teach the next generation not to be so competitive and to work together, to help build a team, to help define the values and say, what is our wealth for? And basically to create a link between the family and the business in the next generation. And so th these are all essential tasks. And none of, uh, some, uh, most of them are not business tasks, but they were really um, creating the next generation and, and, and completing the work that um, sometimes their, their uh, uh, business founder had created. So, so it's a pretty um, uh, incredible story when you look at what they were doing. And uh, often they felt a real conflict between the different parts and really had to pull it together. It, it, it's true that they're not classical business roles, but let's be honest, um, 
you know, historically women have played that behind the scenes role that kind of makes great leaders. I mean, there's been many great male leaders <clears throat> out there and you think about the women that are behind them. Um, I think about, you know, from Augustus Caesar, Caesar Augustus, all the way to, um, you know, I was just in Texas and, you know, Lady Bird Johnson to our right. president. I mean, there's just been all these incredible women who don't necessarily need the, the spotlight, right? The visibility, but they, they are largely to be credited for the success of their partner. And I love it. And, and as, a, as, a, as a male listening to these stories, I asked myself the question, would these businesses and these men be the success that they were without the role of their, their spouse and uh, uh, partner in it? And, and my answer was no, they had limits, they had deficiencies, they had um, uh, you know, capabilities that only took them so far. And the fact that they were so hugely successful uh, was um, actually due to the partnership that, that they were in. And, and, and this is not um, a view that, that, that we uh, have of entrepreneurial behavior um, and, and um, uh, because it, it doesn't fully include the, the informal role. Uh, one of the hypotheses that um, we set out to explore was this, just as you said, Kirby, you know, are these women in these um, families of significant means who have had an enormous impact on our country and indeed in the world, you know, are they the secret sauce? And um, it was um, something that, that uh, actually in, in came, it, it, it ended up being quite true. And as much as they, um, generally speaking, uh, shunned the limelight of mm -hmm. leadership, um, they were really central to the success of, of the family business and of course to the sort of the multi-generational family enterprise. Um, and that was just a, a, a wonderful outcome of what we were able to really validate in, in the study. Well, I'm super excited that you shined a light on some of these powerful women that played extraordinary leadership roles in their families to help support the success and growth of underlying businesses. But I also loved hearing you both share about the reframing, right? That they're reframing their reality to say gender shouldn't be the issue, right? We need men and we need women around the boardroom table or the C-suite um, and encouraging to look beyond gender and to say, let's, let's get the best at the table to help our family grow and learn. I wanna just shift gears to the inheritor side of it because I think um, I had Joe Riley on not too long ago for the inheritance project and his renewed interest in this area. And I really feel with the unprecedented amount of wealth transitioning from one generation to the next, there's a deep curiosity to understand more sort of the female inheritor's view. So tell me more, I, I can't wait to expand on that. Well, so, so the, the women that we looked at were, were a specific kind of inheritor. They were uh, women um, who were inheriting wealth, who were coming from a second or third generation of a successful family um, with great wealth and, and, and often a very thriving family business. But the criteria that we used to call them matriarchs is, is they uh, were not expected to be leaders. They, were, they did not grow up saying, I'm going to inherit the business. 
They did not even grow up sometimes saying, I'm going to go into the business. They didn't even sometimes say, I don't even know if I can go into the business. So they were, they were not intentional, but they had skills and capabilities that led them to take leadership. They somehow felt that, that they had to do it or that they, were, um, they had this, uh, something that enabled them to do it. So these were uh, women who are inheritors, which have been studied in, in other places, but women inheritors who step into family leadership and do it in their own way and on their own path. And in so doing, they, they challenge um, gender uh, roles, they challenge expectations, they um, uh, have, uh, have to deal with the different uh, people in different generations of the family. They, they have, it, it, it's also an immense role, but it's not the same as the role of the wealth creators. So we looked at these, um, these women who became leaders, even though they, it was not what was uh, expected of them. And, um, and uh, we, looked at, um, uh, we looked at them in terms of um, how do they um, step into this role? How did it, how did it, it happen? First of all, um, they, they, were, they, were, um, they, they saw that there was a need. And obviously as inheritors, the need wasn't to make more money. So that they, they saw that something was missing in the family. Something had to happen. Um, there was some way in which sometimes women were being treated unfairly. There was some way in which the culture of the family was not sustainable. And, um, and they, they, they saw a need and, um, and they decided to, um, to, to, to take it up. Now, they, they, they talked about, um, it was very interesting. These were not uh, ordinary um, women. Most of the women that we, we talked to talked about having some inner sense of confidence and, and, and sometimes having a, a, a deep relationship with their fathers who were the wealth creators growing up. But, but the, for some reason, they, um, when they saw these issues in the family, they didn't throw up their hands and say, well, that's not the way we do it and I'm not gonna get what I want. They really said, no, this is wrong. We have to do something about it. So they, they, they stepped up. Some of these families um, and the inheritors were, were from what we call old money. They were families that had had money for a number of years. They had um, large networks of family members. And, um, and uh, in many ways, these women said, well, well we have uh, great traditions and great legacies. And these families um, uh, really place a lot of uh, um, uh, emphasis on, on the, the legacy and the values of the family. And, and, um, and they're, you're expected to kind of um, abide by them. But um, they saw that, that the values were, in many cases, unfair to women. They were um, they were traditional. They didn't respect innovation. They didn't respect some values that were important to them. So they, they, these women, um, in in some cases, had to be pioneers and uh, and challenge the traditional assumptions of their family. Um, and just to give one one example, one one of the women, for example, uh, was you know wanted to get um, go to a you know kind of a college and. Obviously, they had money to do it, and her father said, "No, I'm not going to pay for you. Your job is to become a, a wife and marry someone. You don't need to go to college." And she was furious, and she said, "Well, I'm going to just pay for it myself." And she did that, and she was estranged from the family for a while until she circled back and and got involved. Um, so there are different kinds of ways in which these women have to challenge um, the norms and and um, and and really tune in to their inner resources. And, um, and, and this is a, um, 
This is a, a real challenge. The other thing that these, these women um, did, which, which I think was special, is, is they saw that, that one of the really essential things that the, that the family had to do was to bridge the generations. And the older generation, e.g. their father, um, sometimes had blind spots, had limitations, uh, had difficulty listening to people, um, wasn't really supportive. And um, in, in a couple of cases, these women were, were, became leaders of the family office or the family business because, uh, as I say, she was the only one that could talk to dad. She was the only one that had any influence. And so she was able to be an innovator in the business and get the father to step down, to not be so um, um, uh, pushing traditional views and to move in a new direction. And also, they, she could do that in a way that didn't provoke greater confrontation, didn't make things, weren't destructive, wasn't disrespectful, um, didn't, didn't blow things up in the family. So th these women were able to innovate without, without noise and without um, uh, um, a, a lot of uh, conflict coming up. And they really, um, they were mediators, not just between their generation and the next generation, but with their brothers and uh, other family members and the older generation. So it was a tremendously demanding role, both and role. And, th and these women um, uh, performed uh, in incredible ways um, in, in taking on this leadership role. And, and their stories are not just stories of how to you know, kind of deal with wealth, but um, how to be an innovator um, in these challenging families. Well, I'm so, um, hats off to you both. I'm so appreciative that you took on, undertook this massive research work, but then you also synthesized it into this wonderful book. I love it because it's readable, it's accessible, and you really point out timely current examples and cases that are relatable. And at the end of the day, I think, you know, finding avenues to empower women in this, you know, extraordinarily fluid time where things are changing rapidly is really what your book to me provokes. And I'm sure Amy, you guys are capitalizing on different innovative ways to keep this research and, and this voice alive, literally. Yeah, I think, you know, um, a, a wonderful unintended consequence of this work has been um, the feedback we've received from the 40 women who are who participated. Um, many of them want to get to know each other. And um, it was music to my ears because I think that there was not having met each other, obviously, um, there was there was a, 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 um, a sense of a kindred spirit and which which most certainly emerged um, given the, their willingness to be very vulnerable and share sort of honestly their stories really for the, for the purpose of, of helping you know, other women and certainly the women in the younger generation. Um, we um, we were, were really pleased to learn as well that um, in the feedback um, from these women who said, I, I wanna get to know each other um, and be a community here. I, um, they also were very grateful that somebody helped them tell their story, which was a little confusing to me because I was like, I mean, that was just easy, but it was remarkable how many of the, the women in the study, um, you know, they just, they didn't view themselves as leaders in their families. 
Yeah. And um, and by having someone help them think through what their story was, there's something freeing about it. And so our ability to help them tell their story is a wonderful consequence. And so I'd love to just sort of close by saying that um, um, sort of a second unintended consequence is that um, while we've finished this book and there are these 40 women, um, we've had women want to join the conversation. Yeah. And um, so we continue to build this community. Um, if anyone is listening who thinks that um, somebody that they know who is a, a woman of wealth who would like to engage in the conversations, we're going to continue to work and learn together. Um, we're open to it. Um, I don't know about you, uh, Dennis, but like I'm done writing a book, but I still want to build a community. And so we really welcome that. Um, should those who um, are hearing, you know, what we've done want to, to, to join the movement. I so thank it. you, Kirby, for um, giving us an opportunity to talk about this, this enormous passion project for both of us. Well, again, yes. thank you so much for taking the time to be here with me today, but to have listeners from around the world hear more about this important work. It's something that needs to be on your bookshelf, but maybe your bedside table. Um, there's just some great stories in there. And I, I guess for every family who has that maybe unsung female in your, your midst, you know, maybe dig in and start asking questions or put this, um, you know, on their bedside table and, and start, start the conversations in your family. I think it's just fantastic. I know you're doing a lot of speaking all over the place and sharing wisdom from this, but again, I just want to thank you again for being here today on the Tamron Learning Podcast. Amy Hart Klein, Dennis Jaffe, hats off. Incredible book. Thank so you. Thank, thank you. you.